0: Good morning, everyone. Morning. Lori and I have been on a sabbatical since the beginning of July, so it's good to be back. Good to be back. Yeah. We did a number of things on that uh, that time we had off. One of them was uh, we went to a, a retreat center in Tennessee, up in the mountains. And the good thing about this place, not, not only do they have great cabins and just a great setting and really good prices for people full-time in ministry but um, uh, as well there is no cell phone coverage there and so you get up in the morning you don't have to decide am i going to read the bible or check out the news you know it's just already decided for you and that was really nice but uh, one of the things that we uh encountered while we were there one night Um, We actually took along a DVD player so we could watch uh, a couple of movies. We're watching a movie and I hear this noise out back. And so I go to our bedroom and I look out the window and probably from me to the first row away, right, right there, there's a bear, a black bear in the garbage. And so I'm watching him and he's going after the garbage and then he went across the little driveway and came back and I realized he only had three legs. He was missing his front right leg. And so I did, yeah, I felt sorry for him. He was kind of skinny. And at one point, he found some uh, rib bones because Lori and I had had ribs the night before. And I was so happy for him when he pulled that rib bone out of the garbage (laughs) and started eating it. But then I thought, well, it's time for him to leave. He only has three legs. He can't run very fast. So I walked out onto the porch and uh, yelled at him and uh, he didn't budge, he just, he just stayed right there. And uh, that, so that was, that was one of our adventures and uh, we had a great, great time doing that. But um, another funny thing happened. The other day I was with my grandson and he looked at me and he said, Papa, he said, my daddy was born before you. And I said, no, no, I'm, I'm his daddy. I was born before him. And he, got, he looked a little bit confused, and he said, then why is he so tall? <laughs> and get this, he, then he said, and you're so, and then he stopped. And he looked at me for at least three seconds, and he said, medium. Medium. <laughs> So if I had been thinking about myself as just medium, I wouldn't have gone out on the porch to chase that bear. I, I thought I was bigger than medium, but uh, at any rate, at any rate. I wanna I want share a short story with you uh, to start here from 1976. Lori and I had been married about six months. We were living in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, which is um, up near Akron. And um, Lori's parents came to visit us, and we were trying to think of things to do with them. And so uh, we went to Kent State University. Uh, it was just six years prior to that that, they, that the, during um, some protests that became riots and the National Guardsmen there and that terrible thing happened where there were several students shot and four killed. And so we went to see where that happened and, um, we were walking through the art building because uh, we had been told that the plans for the whole demonstration were made in the art building. And I, I don't know why, I mean, we just thought we'd walk through it. And we're walking down a hallway and, and I glanced into a room and I saw a young man in the room. And uh, this was a Sunday afternoon. And I just, I felt led to go in and talk to him. This was, this was before we were pastors or anything like that and walked in and said, hey, how you doing? You're an art student, what are you working on? And he told me, and uh, on the wall, there was a number of pictures, and one picture was of Jesus with light coming, you know, from behind him. And I looked around and I just said, I really like that picture. And he said, oh, that's interesting. Why do you like that picture? Do you know stuff about God? And I said, uh, yeah, I said, actually, Jesus changed my life just a few years ago. He just changed. I I met him. He came into my life and changed my life. And he said, this is amazing. He said, my fiance and I just prayed last week and asked God to send someone to us that could tell us how we could know him. Isn't that incredible? So so, uh, Lori and I had them over for dinner. They did come to know Christ. Uh, we didn't really have a lot of time to disciple them because they were graduating. It was right before graduation in, uh, you know, in the late spring. And they live here in Cincinnati. They moved back to Cincinnati. And the last time we saw them, they're still walking with the Lord. They're part of a great church on the east side of town here in Cincinnati. But isn't that cool? Yeah. You know, that's the ultimate person of peace right there. God was working in his heart, in their hearts. And all I had to do was be sensitive enough. I didn't even know it was God speaking to me. I didn't, didn't really, wasn't really tied into God speaking that much in those days, but God nudged my heart. And I just went in, just said, hey, how you doing? And from there, everything just unfolded. And so um, I, I pray that every one of you will have an experience like that. There's nothing more exciting than that. And you know what we all ought to be doing? Well, first of all, could you do that? Yes. Could you walk into a room and say, Hi, my name's Van. What's your name? What are you doing? Could you do that? That's all I did. And then just, well, I like that picture. That's all I did. Could you do that? Yes. You could, everyone in this room could do that, couldn't you? Okay, what we need to be doing every day at the start of our day is praying that God would lead us to someone like that that God would lead us to what Jesus called a person of peace, someone whose heart is already being prepared and who is looking and and seeking and and eager to hear because God's working in them. You can do it. Pray for it. Ask God for it. Seriously, every day, ask God to lead you to someone like that. And then just be open and be aware and... (laughs) Uh, and, and, and have your heart ready when you, when you meet them because there's nothing more exciting in life than that. That's what we're made for. This is what we're designed for. And th- this is the most exciting thing you ever experience. Now we're in the Gospel of Matthew and uh, we're finishing chapter 10 today. Chapter 10 is a chapter that begins with Jesus calling his 12 apostles to himself and telling them he's gonna send them out They're gonna go out on a mission trip now without him. They've seen him heal. They've seen him proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. He's gonna send them out now to do that. And then the rest of the chapter flows out of his discussion with them before they go out. And he talks about a lot of things in, in this chapter. And a few weeks ago, Luke and Will gave messages on this whole person of peace concept. And if you didn't hear those messages, they were great. I, I really encourage you to uh, go back and find them and listen to them, but um, he he talks in this chapter about persecution and difficulty that some people are going to receive us and some people aren't, and then some people are going to actually respond with hostility, and he makes that very clear in in the, in this chapter. And what we're looking for is the ones that are going to respond. So. Uh, We're going to read Matthew 10, verses 34 to 42. So would you stand with me? It's going to be on the screen. I'm going to read. You can follow along on the screen, okay? This is Jesus speaking. And he says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. will certainly not lose their reward. So Father, we pray that you would uh, speak to us. And Holy Spirit, you're our teacher, so open our minds to understand uh, what Jesus was saying here and how it applies to our lives today so that we can love you more, so that we can serve you more, so that we can grow as apprentices, as disciples of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat you know, it starts off uh, with kind of a surprising statement here. Don't suppose I've come to bring peace to earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And I think when we think of Jesus and his coming, we have a very Christmassy mindset. If you know what I mean by that, it's like joy to the world. The Lord has come and the angels singing to the shepherds peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And there's this, this, This kind of like shakes our view of all of that and somewhat our worldview up when Jesus said, I came to bring a sword to the earth. But you see, what Jesus is saying here, and really to understand it, you have to focus on this peace to the earth because in Jesus' first coming, he came into a fallen, broken world that is filled with religions, that is filled with false ideas, that is filled with demonic Uh, delusions about who God is and people have staked their whole lives on those false religions and now Jesus is coming in and he's coming in with a message that is exclusive and I think that's probably the most offensive part of the gospel to the world it is that Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me if it was just one of many And if that's what we were proclaiming, hey, you can come to God through Jesus, through Buddha, through whoever, it's up to you, then there there wouldn't be any persecution. But Jesus comes with this message that just rocks people's worlds. And people who have for years found some semblance of stability in their lives by believing lies about who God is, now they're being confronted with the fact that those are lies. And they respond. It's just, it's just a natural gut response. Have you ever had someone say something that you, that you haven't really thought about for years, but you kind of disagree with and it just triggers something in, your, in you? Have you ever been triggered where someone, just in general, someone says something and you just react to it at a gut level? Well, that's what happens. And that's what Jesus means when he says, I, you know, I'm, I, I came bringing a sword that, uh, that his coming, his first coming would bring division between those who are willing to hear him and receive him and, and those who are going to reject him. And so, peace to earth is coming, but it's coming when he comes back. It's coming upon his return when he comes back and fully establishes his kingdom. You see, we live in this in-between season where God has uh, reverted back to, not reverted back and spent his plan all along, but. The original commission he gave to Adam and Eve was rule over the earth, fill it, and subdue it, and fill it, and rule over it. And now that Jesus came, and of course, Adam and Eve gave that away, they sacrificed that commission and that call from God by really switching teams and trusting Satan more than they trusted God. And that brought fallenness into the world, brought a curse on the world, it brought all the pain and everything that we see around the world that is horrific today, all came because of that. But well, now what Jesus did, he came into the earth, he defeated Satan, he paid for sin, defeated sin, and he gives the authority back to us. And he gives us authority, his authority, which is what this chapter starts off with. He gave his apostles authority and power. And he gave it to us to fulfill our original assignment of going out into the world and subduing the world. But now it is through proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when he returns, that process, he will complete the process. And then there will be peace on earth. Now, some of the rabbis actually understood that when the kingdom came, it would bring division And so Jesus actually quotes some of the older rabbis in verses 35 and 36. After he says, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword, then he says, I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now, this is very important because he said it earlier. And earlier he was talking about Uh, Actual physical persecution because he said earlier in this chapter, he said that children will actually deliver their parents over to death. So he said there will be times when parents will be martyred because their children turned them in. And so he's talking there earlier about just absolute persecution, physical persecution to the point of death. Now here... I believe what he's doing is setting up for the next statement he's going to make. He's setting up the next statement, but I want to dwell on this for just a moment before we get there. It's not, it's not outright persecution he's talking about here. He's talking about more the relational aspect and the relational dynamic, and how family, parents, children, close friends, can be the greatest hindrance to us fulfilling what God calls us to. And we're, I'm gonna show you that in just a moment, but just for a moment, uh, thinking of persecution and rejection, we need to recognize this. People are never the enemy. Can I hear that? People, other human beings, are not the enemy. The Apostle Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, Here's what he said. This is really crucial that we get this, especially in our day and age, where where there is so, so much bitterness and hatred and rancor in our culture. But listen to this. Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, that means other human beings, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, earlier, he said we have every spiritual blessing through Christ in the heavenly realms. And so, we have authority in the heavenly realms, but that's where the real battle is. That other person is not the enemy. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand... You see, the only way for us to keep clear, clean hearts in a culture and in a world like we live in today is to look at other people and just tell myself, that person, that, they're not the enemy. They're not the enemy. You know, when it comes to politics, that politician, I don't like what he says or she says, not the enemy. There's spiritual forces at work behind this whole thing. That's the real enemy when we when we encounter social issues like the LGBTQ or gender identity issues that other persons not the enemy they're not the enemy there's a spiritual force behind the whole thing that's the enemy and i have to have, i have to keep a clean heart to love people to love everybody and to have how am i going to find a person of peace if i go around with rancor in my heart i'm not going to I'm not going to walk into a room and, uh, and the room's not going to get better. If I'm carrying bitterness, judgment, reactionary thinking and, and heart, then the, the person to peace thing, it, it just isn't going to work. We have to keep clean hearts. And whatever it might be, you know, uh, whatever issues the media or whatever um, decisions your, your boss makes at work or your coworkers make, just tell you, they're not the enemy. Don't take up a cause against them. Don't be bitter-hearted towards them. And this, as well as all the other personal relationships we have, people are not the enemy, just not the enemy. We need to keep that clear. Now, before we leave this, I just do want to say this, that um, in the midst of all the turmoil in our world today, Jesus does give us peace. He, he, his coming didn't bring peace to the world, But it gives peace to the believer in the world okay and and jesus even said these things i've spoken to you so that in me you might have peace he said in the world you're gonna have trouble tribulation trials but be of good cheer i've overcome the world and he's going to come back one day and he's going to bring that whole thing in into effect so keep your heart clean but here's where jesus is going with this and this is why he brings up the family thing as I just said, this can be one of the greatest hindrances to us pursuing God's will for our lives or being willing to just love Jesus with all of our hearts is our family relationships. And as a parent and a grandparent, as a son, I, you know, I, I, I understand how these things work and I understand how sensitive and, and um, heart-rending they can be. But listen to this, 37 and 38, Jesus said this, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And then 38, he says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now, I wanna start with that word worthy. We have a tendency to attach way too much to it. It's kinda of like, if I'm unworthy, then that's, I take that on as my identity. And, 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 you know, I've, I'm a horrible person, I'm not worthy. But what the word worthy just means when uh, two things come into alignment. It means alignment. He's saying, if you don't love me more than mother or father, more than son or daughter, then your life as a disciple of mine is not really in alignment with my values. You're not in alignment with, with what it really means to be an, an apprentice to Jesus. And so, he's talking here, he's not saying, don't love your parents. He's not saying, don't love your wife and your children. He's not saying that. The assumption is, you do love them, because he said, more than. He doesn't say, don't love them. It's more than. He, he's talking about embracing a greater love, a love which puts Jesus first, a love that says, he's, he is first, he's the most important one in my life. So this higher priority, love Jesus or family, no, he's not saying don't love parents, he's saying love me more. And the word used for love here is very interesting, is a Greek word phileo. And there are two major words in the New Testament that are used uh, for love. One of them is agape and the other is phileo. And they differ slightly. A A lot of synonyms, you know, have major overlap, that's why we call them synonyms, okay? they're pointing to the same general thing. And so, agape and phileo are both translated love. But agape love, the way to distinguish the two, is a love that arises more out of the will. I choose. This is the right thing. I choose to love. I choose to sacrifice. I choose to give, to, to feed the, these people starving children in Africa, even though I've never seen any of them, I haven't met them. I'm choosing to do that because it's the right thing. It's a love that doesn't require relationship. It doesn't doesn't exclude relationship, but it, it doesn't require it for the love to be real. Does that make sense? So it arises out of the will. Phileo is a love that is relational. It's, it's a love that is from, motivated more from, from uh, the emotional side of who we are. It's, it, would, it would encompass more the emotional side of love. You know, the, the seeing and the, the heart being moved, it, it involves a more direct sense of what we would call romantic love, but it's not romantic love. It, it can be love of two friends. Two good friends have a phileo, they're, they're in a phileo relationship. They love each other because they're friends. So it's a love that describes friendship more than just, just absolute willingness to sacrifice. And again, the two can overlap and they can both have all of these meetings. But when it's used in a context like this, it's significant that what Jesus is saying is he wants us to love him, not in a cold-hearted way, but he wants our hearts to be moved towards him. He, he wants to be friends. He, he wants to have intimate relationship. And it's kind of like when you see beauty, there's a, there's a response to it. And I was thinking of yesterday, what a beautiful day it was. Lori and I took a walk and we're walking in this beautiful, down this beautiful lane with trees. And, and just how, just you know I, I, I could just say, I love this day. You know, I phileo this day. You know, I could look at a picture and say, boy, that looks really nice. And I could say, you know, I, I kind of uh, agape it. But I was experiencing it, we were experiencing it. So o is an experiential love and that's what Jesus is calling us all to. Now, a couple of key thoughts here to clarify this. He's, he's, he's calling us to a greater love, and it's a love, and you think, well, how could I love, would it be right for me to love anyone more than I love my children? And Jesus here is saying, yes, him, him. Would it be right to love anyone more than I love my wife? Yes, him, or my husband, him, love him more. And the truth of the matter is, If I don't love Him first and most, then my heart is incomplete because I was created to be in an intimate phileo relationship with God. And the only way I become a whole person is by acknowledging that and by giving Him my first love. I love Him more. And when I do that, then... I am enabled to love my family the way God wants me to love them. I'm enabled to love them to the max because I'm coming as a full hearted person to the relationship. And so think of it like this. This statement came to me this week. Loving Him first empowers me to love others best. Okay, loving Him first empowers me, you could say to love others well, the way I'm designed to love them, to love them with a complete love that God has for me to give to them. And so loving him first empowers me to love others best. But get this, second thing is this, if I love my parents, my wife, my husband, my kids, more than Jesus, then I'm putting them in a position in my heart and life that they are incapable of fulfilling. Because that spot in my heart and in my life is designed for Jesus. It's designed for God. And if I put them in that spot, then I, they can't possibly fulfill that. And so it's, it's going to do damage to them. Because there's, there's even a, a very subtle expectation that I have of them. And, and a subtle commitment that I have to them that is, th- that is just off base, it's off. And so, I put them in a position to be something they can never be. I am giving them a very poor example of what it means to follow Jesus. But if I can just, I, you know, I really love Jesus most, more than anyone, then I'm gonna be able to love them well. I'm gonna be able to love them with a full, rich heart. I'm gonna be able to love them best. And, and that's going to be the best thing for them to come to know Jesus. I mean, why wouldn't they wanna do what I wanna do? That's what kids do. They, they, they our, our grandson uh, likes it when he and I dress the same. And so he sent me a picture of a shirt he had on and asked me if I had a shirt that looked like that. And could I wear it? And then also, could you wear black pants too? And so I dug out a pair of black jeans I had, and I had a shirt that looked a lot like his, and I put it on. And he just was so delighted. You see, they want to be like us, and I want them to love Jesus with all their hearts. I want them to love Jesus first. So I, I set the example by loving Jesus more. And so it's, uh, it's just a wonderful thing when you think of it, how, how God's designed us. But here, here are a few thoughts some practical aspects of this, I think. So, what if truly loving and following Jesus, what if obeying him would cause my mother pain? What if it would cause my mother fear or grief? What, what about that? What Jesus is saying is, no, you love me first. You let her, relation, you let me take, she and I are in a relationship, okay? You don't, have to, you don't have to try to fix her life. I, I'll, I'm, I'm in relationship with her. And by the way, at Jesus' birth, when they brought him to the temple to dedicate him, one of the prophets looked at Mary and said, yeah, destined for greatness, you're gonna have a sword pierce your heart. And do you think that Jesus didn't know what the pain he was going to cause his mother when he went to the cross? The pain he was going to cost his family, his, 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 his apostles, the pain he was going to cause them. But that's what it means to love Jesus first. It doesn't mean that I ignore the pain or, or I discount it or I don't, I don't empathize with it. It means that's not what's going to be my driving motive in my decision making. So what, what if loving and obeying Jesus meant that I put my children's provision at risk? Lori and I did that in 1994. We moved from Michigan to Illinois without a job, with four kids, the oldest was 15, the youngest was three. And we went there because Jesus called us to go there. And we had confidence he was gonna provide for us. And we're all still alive, we're all still healthy. No one got uh, scurvy or anything like that, you know. (laughs) But what if that? What if teaching them about Jesus, your children leads to to their rejection by friends, and, and you have to see the pain that they go to through. What if loving and following Jesus means going to another part of the country or world? Leaving parents and family behind. And by the way, you take your grandchildren with you. You know, think of that. Grandma has been waiting for these grandchildren, and then the, the, the family is called to another part of the world. We're just another another city in America even. And, and there's, th- th- it comes down to, you know, we're going to follow Jesus. And that parent, because they love Jesus first, they're going to recognize a lot of pain involved in this, but I want you to follow Jesus. I want you to do what God's calling you to do. So what if loving and following Jesus... As an adult, you are baptized, and your parents are confused and dismayed over that because they had you baptized as a child, and they thought that was good. And in the way we put it, I have friends who love the Bible, who believe in infant baptism, and love the Lord, and so it's not like this is a right or wrong thing, but it's the thing that happens sometimes. As an adult, you say, well, I just made my own decision to follow Jesus, and I wanna be baptized. As an adult. And what, what about the pain that causes? So so it's loving Jesus more than family is a key part. And that's the whole point of this passage. It's a key part of us being growing disciples of Jesus, growing in apprenticeship to Jesus. John Bunyan, who wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress, he was in prison waiting to be executed, and he said this, he said the greatest pain was not what he was looking forward to physically. His greatest pain was leaving his wife and children behind and the, the anxiety and fear of what's going to happen to them. How are they going to survive? He said the last time he saw them when they left, he felt like someone was tearing the muscles right off of his bones tearing the flesh right off of his bones. But he knew, too, that he couldn't deny truth and still be a follower of Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, he couldn't deny truth. And he knew, too, if if he had recanted, if he had, then he would have been a shell of the godly man that he had become. He would have lived the rest of his life with regret and with grief and would have been would not have been the father his children needed. And, and so there are times when putting Jesus first is, it, it do, maybe it doesn't make human sense, but it is what God calls us to do. And by the way, in those early days of persecution and maybe even today, I mean, there, there are more Christians that have been martyred, to being martyred today than at any other time in the history of the church. But at least back then, they would bring parents in to try to persuade their child to recant. In one case, Lori read a book about a young woman that she and several of her friends had been condemned to death for their Christian faith, but she was pregnant. And in this culture, they would never execute a pregnant woman. So she was heartbroken because she didn't get to die and go to heaven with her friends at the same moment they did. But, um, while, while she was there, she was waiting to deliver her baby and uh, it, extreme loneliness in prison, her father came and begged her to recant. Just begged her to recant. And can you imagine seeing the grief and the pain of a parent that they would be experiencing in a moment like that? And, and this, this young woman, she couldn't recant because it was true, it was truth. And yes, she was a follower of Jesus, and she couldn't couldn't deny that or recant that. But this is the point Jesus is making in these verses is that the central heart issue for any disciple is, do I love Jesus most? Do I love Jesus first? Again, I'm not going to be callous towards those around me. I love them. I'm going to give myself serving them. But when the, some difficult decisions come, do I love Jesus first? That, that's that's the whole point of this whole passage. And so, as this passage goes on, he says this: that he says, "Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me." He just said, "If if you love uh, father, mother more than me, you're not worthy of me." Now, if you don't take up your cross, and these these uh, these Jewish people knew what a cross was. <laughs> They they'd seen the Romans crucify hundreds and thousands of their fellow countrymen in one rebellion in Galilee. Uh, they lined this they lined they lined the roadways with bodies on crosses, and so they knew what that meant. But oftentimes this is misused, and people will say something like, "Well, they might say this illness that I have that's just my cross to bear." Or uh, you know this ornery husband or this ornery wife I have is just my cross to bear. I've heard, heard people say that the cross is not—it's not something that was thrust on them. In fact, it says here, "Take up." You 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 choose to pick up a cross, and and that's where the difference is. If you're being executed by the Romans, they force you to take up the cross. But here, you choose to pick up that cross piece and carry it. And the, the, the whole idea is that to be his disciple, I have to give up my own ways. And in this context, he's talking about loving him first above all other loves. And sometimes that, that is a difficult, hard thing to do. And it's like picking up your cross and carrying it. In Matthew 16:24, uh, he says, whoever will be my disciple must deny themselves, you know, turn away from pleasing myself first, take up their cross, and Luke adds daily, and follow me. And so this is part of being a disciple, a growing disciple. Then he explains why this is so important. He says in verse 39, whoever finds their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So as some people put it, there is a cost to discipleship and being an apprentice. When he says whoever finds their life, that can be intentional or unintentional. It could be intentional in the sense of, uh, and what he's talking about here, finding their life without God, without Jesus, without him. It could refer to someone who has sought and sought and they've thought it all through and they've read all the books on religion and philosophy and they've come to believe that this is the truth, not not the gospel, but they've come to some balance in their life and what they believe. And 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 that and that's it. They think they've found their life. But Jesus said, No, you've lost it. You you missed the whole point. So it could be intentional or it could be unintentional, just where I grew up. I grew up in a certain culture and context, and I just absorbed all of those beliefs and systems. And so, either way, uh, it it is, if if it doesn't include loving Jesus first, you're losing. But then he, he goes on to say, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And the word loses there is a Greek word that means to destroy or to break into pieces. Have you ever seen on a computer screen, and this is probably so ancient, but I've seen on a computer screen where you shoot something and the, the little ship just breaks into pieces. Have you ever seen that? It's probably like 1980 technology or something, but um, that's what this is talking about. This is talking about someone who intentionally looks at their life, intentionally looks at their life and the things they believed, and starts pulling it apart. And they're deconstructing. They're deconstructing their unbelief. And well, why do I believe this? And why do I believe that? And, and they come to the conclusion that there has to be something more to life than what they've been taught or what they thought they had found. And so they intentionally break apart their unbelief system. They lose their life and give it to Jesus, and then they find it find it by giving their life to Jesus. And so, he goes on then in verse 40, and he's he's getting back now to the idea of uh, the person of peace, and he says, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And so, the person that loves Jesus first and most is able to live with a clear heart with, with a clean heart, a loving heart, because his heart's filled with love for Jesus and the love of Jesus. And people are gonna sense that, and some people are going to like you, but not like the Jesus in you. And they wanna be friends, and sure, they're friends. Some people are going to see the Jesus in you and reject you, as he was talking about but then some people are going to see the Jesus in you and they're going to like seeing Jesus in you. And that's your person of peace. And because Jesus is in me and if I'm loving him first, then all I have to do is let other people love like the Jesus they see in me. I don't have to be cool. I don't have to be, you know, up to date. I don't have to dress a certain way. I don't have to have the best jokes or anything. I don't have to identify, I don't even have to be able to say, yeah, you know, that same thing happened in my life, and blah, blah, blah. I don't have to do that. If they see the Jesus in me, I, I need to step back. And it's not me I want them to like, I want them to like the Jesus that they see in me. And that, that's what he's talking about when he says, anyone who receive, welcomes you or receives you, receives me. And So there is a progression here, it is, they see Jesus in us, they like that that they come to know Jesus, they're well on the way to coming to know Jesus if they see the Jesus in us and like him, like, like what they see. They're well on the way to coming to know Jesus. When they come to know Jesus, they come to know God the Father. And so that, that's, that's the whole goal here. And then he ends this by talking about uh, rewards and um, the, the, the whole concept of uh, of how we relate to people, and and he's saying this, whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet receives a prophet's reward, okay? You might like the prophet. This prophet might be a likable person, but you don't like prophecy, but he's saying here, no, you like them because of the gift God's put in them, and this is where it's coming back to this idea of receiving you, of seeing Jesus in you, and he says, you like them because, and you honor them because of the gift you see that God put in them. You honor the righteous person because you see how their life lines up with God's life and with the life of Jesus. And he says, you receive the same reward that they get. The, the reward of a prophet is intimacy with God, hearing God speak. The reward of a righteous person is just having a life that is being lived well. And that is in alignment with God and, and experiencing God's goodness and blessings. And and so, this whole idea of reward, though Paul talks about rewards, and you know we don't we don't serve for a reward, but there there are rewards that God gives. And in First uh, Corinthians nine seventeen and eighteen, he talks about rewards in this lifetime, temporal rewards. And here, the apostle Paul said, he said, first he said, I have a commission from God. And then he said, this commission is the gospel. If I preach it voluntarily, I have a reward. And he said, well, what is the reward? It's this, this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. So he says, I, have, I, you know, I, I could be supported by these people, but I'm just going to give them the gospel for free. That's what my heart says to do. And so the reward is, temporal reward, is I get to do the things that are in my heart. Does that make sense? Yeah, Tom Brady just retired, okay? Tom Brady was driven by the desire to be the very best quarterback he could be. And he got satisfaction and meaning out of that because it was in his heart. Okay, when you come to know Jesus, you get a Jesus heart. And Jesus's heart was to see the world come to know the Father. And so as I love him first, his heart bleeds into my heart and I want the same thing. I want to be used by God to bring people into relationship with Jesus. And so that's my reward, is getting to do it. You see, for Tom Brady, the reward was winning a Super Bowl. He got to do what he wanted to do. Does that make sense? Okay, so then he goes on and, and um, he talks about an eternal reward in 1 Corinthians 3, 14 and 15. He talks about our lives and have I built my life uh, on wood, hay, and stubble, which is all flammable, or gold, silver, and precious stones, which is not flammable. And and so he says, the, you know, the the day's gonna come where our lives are gonna kinda like be passed through this, you know, metaphorically, this furnace, and whatever isn't burnt up is gonna be, you know, what, what is the, the, the result. And he says, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames. So if, if everything I've done in my life is burned up because I didn't love Jesus first, then I'm still gonna go to heaven, but it's gonna be like I'm plucked right out of a burning house. But if, if it survives, there's a reward. And the reward, I think in this context, earlier Jesus said, anyone who acknowledges me, I'll acknowledge before my Father in heaven. I think that's the reward. Have you ever talked to someone? I was talking to someone the other day, and they mentioned someone that they had talked to, someone I don't know, but they said, well, that person has heard of you. And I thought, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. I mean, it's very self-centered and narcissistic to think that, but it was, it was kind of cool. It's cool to be recognized. It, there's, there's something that's great about that, and to have Jesus take you to God the Father and say, hey... Father hey, come on here here 's one of my special ones. this one right here you should you are sh- sh- watching you saw it all. I just want to present him to you right now. I want to present her to you right now. I think that could be the reward right there's just the presentation that we received to the Father because there's no greater thing in life than knowing God yeah. and and so I think that that could be the reward, but there are rewards that will be given and finally in verse forty two He says this, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly, I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. So what he does is he boils it down to the very simplest of terms, and he says, okay, start here. As a disciple of a follower of Jesus, as one who's saying, I'm going to love you, Jesus, I want to love you most. And by the way, if if you just don't know how to do that, you just start telling him, I want that. I wanna love you most, show me how to love you most. Work in my heart to, de- to develop a-, a love for you so that I will love you first, so that I will love you most. Just keep talking to him about that and asking for that and, and he, will- he will nurture you right into that. But here he says, this can start off very simply, just a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, not great ones, but the little ones, because they're my disciple and there's a reward in that. So sometimes you're the one given the cup of cold water, sometimes you're the one receiving it. But either way, it is a step in the direction of just putting Jesus first in your life. So would you stand with me? And I'm, I'm gonna, we're gonna pray about a couple of things. John Wimber was the founder of the Vineyard Movement and I just read a biography Um, uh, by several different people about his life. And his wife, Carol, said the most outstanding feature about him was he really, genuinely loved God first, loved Jesus first, and, and was more concerned with pleasing Jesus than anyone else. And I, I, I like that because that's part of my heritage. That's part of my spiritual family line. And that means that I have an inheritance I can grab hold of. And I can say, I want that too, God. So if you want that, is there something in your heart that's saying, yeah, I'm not sure I, I do love Jesus. I wanna love him more. Just leave, put it at that. I wanna love you more, Jesus. I wanna love you first. Just hold your hands out and and say that to him. Pray that to him. And then I'm going to pray for you. Holy Spirit, uh, just show us what that means. And show us how to walk more into this. Show us how to walk more and more into loving you, Jesus, first. Being friends with you. Being, having an intimate relationship with you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, show us how to do that. And I pray for a release, a release right now over this room of freedom to walk in that. That's, that's part of our inheritance as followers of Christ, to walk in that that greater love. I release a freedom to do that. Holy Spirit, we ask you to remind us. Don't let us forget Remind us, remind us every day this week, remind us, Lord, to pray and to say, Lord, I wanna love you first, I wanna love you most. We ask you to do that, Lord. And for any of us, that, anyone here that's caught up in a relationship that you realize is hindering you loving Jesus first because of all the expectations, either that the other person's putting on you or that you have put on your own heart, In Jesus' name, I free you from those expectations right now. I free you from those expectations. I free you to walk with a heart that says, I want more of Jesus, and that's all I want. I just want you. And when you do that, all the other loves and all the other relationships fall into place and become richer and fuller and more than you could ever imagine. So I bless you this week to walk in the love of Jesus. Amen.